This is David Wilson and welcome to episode 56 of On Another Track. Welcome to On Another Track with me, David Wilson, exploring people and places from around the world. A podcast series that takes you where you've never been and probably where you never want to go. On the track is talking to people we can't meet with face to face. We use remote video technology and software to see what they have to say. Because I'm trying some new software, which actually does transcription. And so as you're doing the podcast, if you wanted like subtitles and you wanted to show the video, you could actually then do the subtitles and everything. Victoria and I have both been recording on our ends when we're doing our podcast, just because we've had a few issues. Uh, I think my cat wants to be removed from the office. I don't know what my cat's doing, but um, while you're figuring that, I'm going to get headphones. That's the voice this week of both my guests, Victoria and Miranda. They actually are the co-hosts of a podcast called The Animal Files. I first got to meet Miranda through a networking group here in Edmonton who introduced me to Victoria. Miranda has her own business called Petwell Navigation and Victoria is an animal spirituality facilitator. What brought both ladies together was their passion for animal welfare and blowing some of the myths out of the water around the multi-billion dollar pet industry. We also cover the subjects of pet anxiety and the massive increase in suicide rates with vets in the industry. Victoria and Miranda don't just have an interest, they have an animal passion. My first question for Miranda and Victoria was, how did they both meet? Uh, you want me to say it, Miranda? Go for it. All right. Well, it was actually kind of a random occurrence. Um, I was on Facebook. I was just all of a sudden a post runs by for uh, an organization that was all about joint ventures. They were doing a challenge. I'm like, all right, let me just try. Learn what it's about. Went in there. And one of the things in the challenge was you would introduce yourselves, you know. And so I would go through some of these people, see if there's anybody that. And all of a sudden I saw Miranda and she was the only one that I passed that was pretty much in alignment with me. So I just said, you know what? I'm just going to reach out to her. Excellent. Excellent. And so the, the rest, rest is history. history. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I stole your words there. I went, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's what that's what it is. And since me reaching out to her, I think it's I think the, the world has changed for both of us in many ways. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, what's really interesting as well is it's funny how people come together, especially in the recent times, you know, the last couple of years with COVID and this form of communication being more prominent. But so what do you think attracted you to each other? Miranda, I'll let you dive in on this one, if that's OK, and tell us all about what you thought, what sort of connection you had with Victoria. Uh, well. I think the biggest thing was that we discovered that we had a passion around animals was very much shared, that we both had a very strong desire to try to make the world a better place for the animals and increase the understanding, the respect and the compassion and all of that for them. So we we didn't know in the beginning if there was going to be a way for us to work together and collaborate. and. This opportunity that we had to do a podcast came about, and I had actually thought about doing it myself, 
thinking that that would be a great way to get the information out. But I was not comfortable doing it on my own. And I was like, I'm not sure if people would want to just listen to my voice. I don't know. I think you've got a great voice, actually. But I suppose, really, ultimately, it's about experience, though, isn't it? You had no experience of it, yeah? Yeah, right. Um, And, you know, I also have a tendency to have a fairly serious nature as well. You know, I, I kind of molded over for a little while. I had a lot of hesitancy. And then at one point, it just kind of came to me. It's like, why don't I ask if Victoria would be interested in doing this with me? And when I approached her with it, she completely jumped on board immediately. She was absolutely all over the idea. And I found that I think we balance each other off really well in our personalities and the way we talk about things. So we get that balance of both the serious as well as the lighter side of it as well. Oh, I can definitely vouch for that. because The I, sassy I, side. Well, <laughs> but that's a really great balance to have because we it's essentially we call these double headers in the radio world. When you have a double header, it's great because you can bounce off each other, you know. And like you were saying, Miranda, you know, you, you're the analytical person, probably. You're the one that sort of gets into the, right. the nitty gritty. You're a bit geeky like yes. I am. You like to get to know the details. <laughs> Whereas Victoria, you're great. You've got, you come from the passion side of things, don't you? You kind of live and breathe it and you're just in there. So, okay. You, you guys got together. Um, so when you originally got together, you, you didn't sort of talk about podcast initially. It was only after you got to know each other, what, for a couple of weeks, couple of months that you suddenly realized there was a commonality there in terms of where you wanted to take your lives and what you're doing with the podcast now. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it was almost a year after. I think. It was quite a while. Um, we started off with just once a month meeting and just discussing mm-hmm. and seeing, you know, how we can help each other and support each other. I mean, honestly, I think it was a true idea of what a joint venture is all about because that's that's kind of where we met and that's what started the whole process. And then it eventually turned into, you know, she came into my uh, business group that I mentor. And then, you know, we got really comfortable with each other. We knew each other well. We had many conversations about what we believed in and what we thought and what our mission was. And then the podcast came in and literally I was just like, I said, I jumped. I didn't even think about it. I was like, yeah. <laughs> and, and to be fair, I mean, let's let's get this right so the listeners can get a clear perspective on this. You both didn't really have any experience of broadcasting, radio, podcast, or all the above. Is that correct? Not it. Not, no, at all. not at all. And first of all, I think we should reveal to the guests or to our listeners that what's the name of the podcast? We ought to let them know. It's called The Animal Files, Exposing the Truth, Science, and Spirituality of Pet Care. Fantastic. The Animal Files. And where can people get access to it? Where's the best place for them to listen to it? Basically any place that they get their podcasts from. Okay. So, you know, Apple, you know, Spotify, you name it, Google. Right. And I'm right in thinking as well, it's broadcast on a a network. Is that right in the US as well? Do you have it syndicated? Is that correct? Not syndicated. Oh, sorry. I'm being posh there. I'm being a bit posh, but you (laughs) have it. Hey, that's okay. You put it out in the ether and we're accepting that because that's what we want. Well, that's right. Exactly. Come on. Come on. Pick it up a little bit. Here, Here's the fun part. And this is the part that was like, I think it really like dumbfounded both of us. We had only been doing the podcast for a month. And then we were offered a radio show, a weekly radio show. 
Incredible. Mm-hmm. Incredible. And and that was just like I I don't even I think we were both speechless at first. Oh yeah. I'm like, okay, how do we do this? What are we gonna do? How are we gonna do that? <laughs> and you know, it's just grown from there. Okay. What was the way that you got discovered? A mutual connection that we both have. And they they basically said, this sounds like a great idea and fit in really great with our schedules and uh, off to the races. How's that been? Which which radio station are you on? Just so that we can let the listeners know again, if they want to log on. WGLRO.com. Say that once more, because I'm sure I'd forget it. <laughs> WGLRO.com. And we air every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Pacific. So I guess what, two and 12 mountain. So 12, yeah. 12 p.m. mountain. Yeah. So let's rewind back. So you met together, you, you, you had a year to get to know each other. You suddenly were starting to think about getting this podcast together. What were the logistical nightmares you had to start with? How did you actually get kind of your mind around things to get things underway? Well, I had the great opportunity to receive a sponsorship to take a podcasting course. Nice. So I was able to get sort of the nitty gritty and learn on what it all takes to to get it set up, what you need to look into and consider and all these things, how to stand out from other podcasts, because I think that was one of the critical things. Although I think with the nature of our podcast, it was going to stand out anyways, because I don't think there's really anything out there, not that we've been able to find that is similar. And with Victoria's graphic design knowledge and that as well, we were able to create, I think, some really amazing graphic that also helps us to really stand out. And I love what you just said there. You know, you you had to think about how to stand out and that's what's made you very unique. So what are some of the things you think you've achieved? Because how long have you been broadcasting for? Is it about uh, 18 months now, something like that? Maybe two years? Uh, our first podcast aired November 14th of 2020. Oh, yes. Yeah. So there you are. Okay, yeah. So a year and a half. So you've now got probably, what, 50, 60 episodes under your belt or more? Well, the podcast episodes are not as high because we were doing them every two weeks. Oh, that's fair enough. Whereas the radio show, we were doing them every week. So we're, I think with the radio show, you said we had got to like 52. Yeah. We're, we're at 54 radio shows. Now. Yeah. 54. Well, that sounds about right. Actually, it's about the same for me. Cause I think I started in uh, September of 2020. I think it was, I can't remember now going back. And I think I'm on my 55th uh, podcast episode. I've missed a couple of weeks. But so, okay, so you got started, okay. How the heck do you figure out what you're going to talk about? I mean, do you have guests on the podcast or is it just you're bringing together information for people to be able to divulge that information out to the ether, so to speak? Well, for the radio show, we've been doing exclusively just content. But for the podcast, we have had a few interviews. Not a lot at this point, but we're still kind of focused more on the interviews Uh, If we can, but we'll still do some content. So it's going to be a mix. And so from the point of view of people being enticed to, you know, listen to the show, primarily, what are the sort of things that you're talking about? What, how do you take them on that journey? Conversation really is, I mean, Miranda is, you know, I've said this before and in several other instances, she is a goddess of research. So she does all of the, the subject and topic selections and she does this incredible research she just puts it in a like an outline format 
And we just basically just talk. I love it. We just talk. We just have a conversation about this. And it allows us to stand on multiple soapboxes, more so on my end than hers. But uh, I would never have believed it. I would never. <laughs> but, that, but that's what it is. It's, it's more conversational. And so even when, you know, we're putting the the radio show and the podcast together, I want it to sound as conversational, like you're sitting there in the room having this conversation with us. And we talk about the things that we have been told or what we believe should be the conversation around pets. And so what have been some of the subjects? I mean, for instance, you know, what's you been your most controversial subject, for instance, what's really got people going and what responses have you had from people? Well, uh, unfortunately, we have not been able to get a lot of response at this point. We, we're trying to encourage it, but um, hopefully that will come. I think the most, well, I think there's two that we had that were really controversial. One was about vaccines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other one was about, um, what was it called? It was animal breed laws or something like that. Like, yeah. Animal laws about specific breeds. We also, I think. We also had some feedback, not a lot, but we had some feedback where people were, were dumbfounded that actually, that people actually did body modification on their animals. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. So that that was, that was a, yeah, that was a. a, An extreme body modification. Like tattoos of skulls and stuff like that to, you know, ear cropping and tail docking and piercings people piercing their animals ears. Yeah, that was, that was, we got some feedback on that one. And that's a really interesting subject because I think when I look back and I'm a, I'm a good bit older than you girls, right. But the thing about it is when I look back, right, we heard about docking of tails or, you know, clipping of ears and, and things like that. So we, we never batted an eyelid when we were younger, you know, because that happened to certain breeds of dog, for instance, but now what we're really saying is that's been taken to quite a different level now. People think it's okay to tattoo dogs, which I think is horrible. Anyway, I just don't think that, why would you do that to an animal? You know, and so these emotive issues, how do you kind of deal with them? Do you deal with them in a very logical way that put both sides over? Or is it very much, no, this is our point of view and we're telling you. It's a mixture. It's a mixture. We bring, you know, because Miranda is the science side of our podcast she really gets into the science about it. I, on the other hand, I'm going to give you what for. And I'm also going to, you know, share any experience of whatever I have, but it's really great. And I, it's so, it's a pleasure to work with somebody who's got a mind like Miranda because we play off each other and we can bring both sides and we don't really fall at the end of the, the podcast. We don't really fall on one side or the other. You know where we fall. Mm-hmm. But as far as the the episode is concerned, we want you to use your own discernment and make the best choices for your family and for your animal. And do you concur with that? Oh, definitely. We don't really want to tell people what they should or should not do. I mean, we have our own ideas, of course, but yeah, we want to empower people to be able to do their own research, their own 
investigation into things and make an informed decision for themselves. So we've talked about body modification, which still blows me away. I just, I, like, I shocked me a little bit, actually, to be honest. But I shouldn't be shocked because, you know, like I say, we, we experienced it when we were younger. You know, they did that different breeds of dogs. But um, so what are the, some of the other challenges that, that we're finding now with pets, especially since COVID? I mean, that's probably thrown everything, you know, like the wrench and, and the kitchen sink into the works. And that's going to be causing, you know, we haven't seen the, the legacy of that yet, have we, with animals? No. Mm, no. No, I think there's going to be some very sad repercussions that are going to be occurring because people don't really think about it. But unfortunately, there's been a lot of animals that were adopted or bought or whatever for the purpose of relieving loneliness and sadness and depression and all of those things. And yes, animals are great for that. But when people don't think about what they're going to give back to these animals in return, that's where the problem is. Because then, you know, once these animals may have worn out their purpose or people go back to work in the, the offices or whatever, and they don't have the time to spend with the animals anymore, well, then they get dumped back at the shelters or abandoned or whatever. And there's also been a an issue with, you know, shelters that had run out of animals to adopt and people don't care where they're getting the animals from. They're shopping online or whatever. And I hate to say the word shopping for pets because they shouldn't, you know, they're living, breathing, sentient beings. Exactly. Yeah. But they're literally shopping for animals and it's like, they don't really care where they're getting from. So they're empowering these puppy mills, these kitten mills, and these other disreputable pet businesses. So if you were looking at the crystal ball, what do you see as some of the major issues that are, are, are potentially on the verge of occurring or have already occurred with domestic pets? I would think it would be the abandonment of the animals and the shelters becoming overflowing again. Yeah. Or the neglect yeah. of some of these animals because they were so used to being treated a certain way. And now that's been ripped away from them. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have anxiety issues, separation anxiety. There's going to be a lot of um, behavior issues, unwanted behaviors that are going to come with the lack of companionship that they're all of a sudden not getting. And those animals are going to be treated as bad and they're going to be shipped off to shelters, possibly euthanized for no reason in poor abusive situations. And that's, that's the thing that nobody thinks about. And not only that is the veterinarians, the clinics are ridiculously busy. Mm-hmm. They are so busy right now. The vets are becoming overworked. My personal vet, her day ends at seven o'clock. She barely ever gets home before 11 PM. That's just crazy, isn't it? Yeah. And you know, there's actually also a high epidemic of suicides among vets. And this was before the pandemic. Wow. Seriously. And this is something that I wasn't aware of because you kind of, you realize that human doctors, if that makes sense, you know, that attend to us, there's been a lot of instances where they're doing 17, 80 hour weeks and, you know, exhaustion's kicking in and they can't take the pressure. But I never imagined that with vets. So it's a real yeah, well, problem. This is what I'm thinking. Um, 
and I'm going to get on a soapbox. One of the things we talk about a lot is we talk about how the laws that are being put into place are not taking the animals into consideration. So these vets, believe it or not, veterinarians have a Hippocratic oath, just like human doctors. And these laws and the governments are forcing them to break their Hippocratic oath. Wow. Mm. And these animals are being over vaccinated. They are not being treated the way you and I get treated when we go to the doctor. And these veterinarians are so overworked. They don't want to hurt these animals, but they're being forced to by all these veterinary associations and the government getting into the, the mix. And I mean, especially over vaccinations, that's a huge, huge issue, especially in this country, in America, mm-hmm. that these animals are getting cancers and the, the injuries are just immense because we are over vaccinating our animals and, you know, organizations that are saying you have to do this and you have to do this. And the veterinarians like, but that's not healthy. And they're still doing it. Veterinarians are actually getting blacklisted if they don't follow the the state laws and whatever. There's a lot going into these veterinarians that are getting so burnt out and depressed. It's heartbreaking. It's it's literally heartbreaking. I'm so thankful that you've highlighted that, Victoria and and Miranda, because I had no clue. And if I hadn't got a clue, and I, I, I kind of considered myself to be fairly in touch with things, right, doing the podcast and what have you, I had no idea the veterinarians were under that much pressure and there was a suicide rate that's increasing. So thank you so much for highlighting that because from my perspective, you know, when you go to the vet and you can't get your dog in, you suddenly realize there's a reason for that. It's not because they don't want to see your dog. Mm-hmm. It's because they've probably got a waiting list as long as your arm, if not longer. Mm-hmm. And they're really juggling, like most physicians are, are juggling these days. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, wow, I never knew that. that that's just. And shocking. most most veterinarian clinics are privately owned as opposed to our doctor clinics, which are corporate owned a lot of the times. So there's a, a difference in how they're run. Basically, a veterinarian owns the clinic that they're working from most of the time. And so there's so much more pressure on their shoulders because they're responsible for everything. They're responsible for the building. They're responsible for their employees. There's no backup. They don't have a backup. Their costs are pretty high. Are they? Yeah. And okay. So let's take a little bit of a step back because I don't know if you know the history of kind of the veterinary practices through the years, because I I seem to remember, and again, this is from the UK, so I can't really quote from North America or Canada where you are, Miranda, but, you know, in the UK, our dogs just ran around in the 60s and 70s. They ate the scraps off the table. You know, they they didn't live a long life because, you know, there was hundreds of them, you know, running around, you know, defecating in the streets and what have you. And and it was just part of life. You know, you just, a dog was wild and it came back for its supper, you know. Mm-hmm. What's changed? Is, is, is Has it become corporate in a way? You know, has it become much more institutionalized, more government, you know, interference so therefore you know we've now taken the welfare of the dog or the animal the cat whoever it is out of the equation because it's big you know corporates that want to sell drugs they want to you know introduce government once you know has gone mad on vaccines as we know not just human but on animals is it really that that's been affecting what has been the process to get it there 
Well, um, if uh, if I can jump on that really quick, I do have more opinions. I am always full of opinions mm-hmm. when it comes to this stuff. I think it's a combination. I really think it's a combination. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the benefits of the way we are dealing with animals now is we are putting the animals more front of mind. Right. Mm-hmm. We understand that having animals running around, defecating in the street, eating scraps of the table is not healthy for them. Hence the reason why they live shorter lives. Mm-hmm. Because we are seeing them a little bit differently and we're bringing them into our human world and we still haven't learned how to understand the animals that come into our world. There's a clash between their perspective of our human world and our perspective of their animal world. And there's a big clash there. And then you add the layer of corporate. You add the layer of government. You add the layer of all of these charity organizations, some extreme, some that are just looking out for the animal. And you get this soup of of everything. And I honestly, I think we're still trying to figure it out. We're getting better. And that's the good part. We're getting better. But I think it's that it's a combination of everything. It's not just one thing or another. What do you feel, Miranda? Is it your similar perspective on that? Yeah, I, I would agree with what Victoria said. I think like with just about everything, there's an element of power and control and that that underlies a lot of things that makes it difficult to sometimes do the the right thing or you know what we feel is the right thing and and treat people and animals the way they should be treated do you think our relationship with animals over the years is is dramatically changed as well because i imagine you know when we were younger again i'm speaking from my personal experience you got a dog mm-hmm. you didn't think about the consequences of getting that dog you just got a dog for christmas and then it was like to roam the streets and it then you know passed away when it did do you think the person in the street now has much more of a conscience about how they deal with their pets absolutely absolutely and i think it's because we've moved towards just having a dog or having a cat to this is family And that shift of looking at these animals as a member of the household has started to shift the conversation and shift how we perceive these animals and how we care for them. Yeah, you can see that with some of the terminology that comes up with pet parents and fur kids. And, you know, some people are electing to have a fur kid instead of having a human kid. <laughs> oh, I've never, I've never heard that expression before, but that, I see I'm being educated. I didn't know Victoria that Victoria raises hand here because I have no kids and my animals have always been my children. Okay. And I treat them as if they are my children. I take care of them. They have health insurance. I do whatever I need to do to ensure that their lives are happy, healthy, and thriving. Now, that's an interesting point you made, happy, healthy, and thriving. I wanted to ask a question about the psychology of domesticated pets in terms of, you know, what they feel and how they think about things. Now, we have to be a little bit kind of pie in the sky about how they possibly think about things, but we do have some idea of how animals feel, don't we? Miranda, what's your perspective on that? Is there, has there been lots of research done on that? Uh, there's been some. There's There's still an awful lot of learning that is being done on understanding. But I think the biggest thing is starting to understand their body language and the different ways that they communicate. 
teaching people not to humanize their animals because we have a tendency as humans to attach our own emotions, beliefs, experiences, and whatever onto the animal. Oh, they're behaving that way. Oh, it's because, you know, like if they pee on a shoe or something, oh, well, they're being vindictive or they're, you know, getting back at me for something. And it's, that's, that's a human thing that happens. That's not how animals operate. There's something else going on there. They are giving a message but it's not in the same way that we think it is. Oh, you've just un- undermined all my perspectives on my dog, Dakota. <laughs> you know, because he's part poodle, you know, he's one of those Labradoodles. So I said, that's a poodle in him coming out. He's like, every time you go down to sort of sit and eat, you know, for instance, he decides because they're not feeding him, he wants to go out the door and interrupt your supper and what have you. So I think in a very human way about that. You're absolutely right. But what's really going on there? I mean, do they? I mean, I've heard that dogs actually do actually interact with humans much more than any other animal in the world, simply because I, I remember seeing in a documentary, I think it was a BBC documentary, that when a dog looks at you, it actually scans your face the same way the human scans your face. That's how they recognize you. So are some animals very close to humans in terms of the way they interpret human feelings and the way they assert themselves with that interhuman relationship? Or are we just imagining that? It might be a mixture, but it also goes to species. A dog historically has chosen to be a companion to man. We did not create that. They chose that because they are canine they see the world through connection. They live in family units in the wild. They have a hierarchy. They have, well, hierarchy is kind of a harsh word, but um, they have a- A layered community. It's, it has layers. Yeah, too. they have a layered community and there are certain rules and boundaries that the patriarch of that particular family likes to, or the matriarch, depending on the dog, puts into place. And- Because of that, when the dogs moved into the human world, they brought that with them. And because we are community-based as well, it just seemed to resonate. And and we've been able to grow as companions through the centuries. And they chose specifically for companionship. Now, cats, on the other hand, back to species, cats also chose humans, but it's out of convenience. I was going to ask you, you just took the words out of my mouth because I was going to ask about cats because they, they're totally at the other end of the scale, aren't they? Yes. <laughs> yep. They saw, oh, we have a home. We have warmth. We have food. Yeah, I'll stay here. Years and years ago, like, you know, before BC, like Egyptian times and earlier than that, they chose because of convenience. And then we use them as tools. So basically that relationship is a you scratch mine, I'll scratch yours kind of thing where, okay, we'll, we'll give you food if you go, you know, clear out the mouse in the wheat shed. So it's a mutual beneficial kind of relationship. Yeah. And dogs are looking for family. Got you. Yeah. That's the big, biggest difference. And Miranda, what's your perspective? What do you, what do you feel? Um, Yeah, I agree with what everything that Victoria just said. Um, But, you know, when I was talking about how we humanize our animals and try to attach our own emotions and stuff. There is an aspect where they do learn from us. Mm -hmm. So they, they watch our behaviors, they see our emotions our actions and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, if you see dogs with their eyebrows that will move up and down or something like that, or different facial expressions and that it's not inherently natural for them, but it's something that they can learn from us. 
Yeah. And that goes for emotions too. animals learn anxiety from us. Animals learn depression from us. That is not naturally a part of their life. Stress is a natural part of their life, but not anxiety, um, depression and grief. They have a certain element of what we with our human eyes would see that that might be grief, but it's not to the extent that humans do. So they can actually pick that up from us as well. That is such a very interesting point you make, because what we've noticed with our dog, for instance, you know, I, I lost my job, you know, then we found that, you know, my good lady's business just collapsed overnight, you know, because she's servicing all the government departments here in, in Edmonton, you know. Uh, with food, stress levels have gone right up through the ceiling. You know, we're getting a bit down and depressed about things, naturally so. Mm-hmm. And the dog feels it. He looks like he's depressed. Mm-hmm. And I, I like I thought, I could, didn't think a dog could get depressed. Yeah. And here's the other thing. And we talk about this on the show a lot. Animals will absorb your energy. Mm-hmm. So that's part of it. The other part of it, and this goes into my work outside of the podcast, animals will give themselves a job. And a lot of dogs, because they love us unconditionally and we are part of their quote unquote family, they will take on things from us out of sacrifice to help us out. So they absorb all of that and they will carry all of that. So if you are, say, depressed and anxious for years and years and years, and yeah, you may notice some behaviors, but all of a sudden your dog has congestive heart failure, it's because they've been absorbing all of that energy that you've been giving off for years. And, you know, they can't process it the way we humans do. Their bodies are smaller, they, whatever, but they do that unconditionally. There's no thought involved. It's like, I can do this. I'm going to support you. And that's how they support us. And that's one of the things that we like to talk about. It's like, you have to check yourself. When you have an animal, you have to check yourself because everything you do, everything you go through, every behavior you do, just like a child, the animal will watch, absorb, and do what it can to help. So interesting, isn't it? The psychology of animals is is an incredible subject. And uh, there are specialists in this world that do the psychology of animals. They've actually studied it and, you know, they've become the shrink for the the animal world. (laughs) Yep. Seriously. There's more and more areas in the pet world that are developing that is helping us to understand animals more. I mean, there's the animal communicators, the animal behaviorists, and all of these different areas that is opening things up and helping us to understand them so much more clearly. And I, and it's also helping to understand like people who actually utilize these people are learning to understand themselves better and how, you know, the interaction between them, the relationship. Absolutely. That's a really great point you make because here's one thing that we found. I mean, I would never have had a dog, right? Because my father was in the British military. You know, we moved around everywhere. Every two or three years, we would have to get rid of the animal and it just wouldn't have worked being abroad. And so therefore, for me, you know, animal never came into the equation. But what I noticed very recently in the last sort of four or five years, gone through a fairly awful separation, to be quite frank about it. And my kids got really affected badly with it. They, naturally, they will. But I didn't realize my oldest daughter really got to the point where literally, and I, I don't mind explaining this on there. She, she got to a point where she was literally had finished up, given up, she'd given up in life. She just didn't want to stay alive anymore because she was so down and depressed and so distraught about the whole 
not the separation necessarily, but what had gone on years before, you know, and I won't go into the details of it, mm -hmm. but somebody suggested, actually it was my good lady, Tracy, she said, well, why don't we get a dog? And I said, I don't really want a dog. But then when she brought it into the perspective that this could be a, a dog that could help her get to the next level, you know, get out of that dark place. And I said, you know what, you know, when you speak to me about my children and it's, you know, it's a, it's a way of not necessarily a drug related way of actually getting them out of a depression. It's a, a, you know, a different way of doing it. I'm all in, you know? So I literally said, okay, I'm not an animal person, but let's go for it. And I have to tell you something right now. I think if it wasn't for Dakota, we'd definitely be in a worse place. There would be no doubt about that. And she's managed to pull through, but isn't it amazing? Like he, and I think Randy, you, you kind of, and both you said this is they take on your worries. They take on your stress. They take on your depression. Mm -hmm. And they, they know what signs to look for. So she had it where, because uh, you probably know she trains dogs and she's been doing that for quite a while. And, and she trained it to, when she started to get a panic attack or got anxious or started to cry, he'd come and lie in her chest and do the pressure treatment, which I, I, I thought was all mumbo jumbo, you know what I mean? But it was like, gosh, this works. And I'll, I'll be upfront about it. I got upset one day. I can't remember when it was, not very long ago. And I got a bit kind of tearful about something. I don't know if it was something to do with one of my relatives or something. And he immediately came and he came and lay across me. And I thought, oh my goodness. So it's amazing what they understand. And, and did you necessarily have to train them to do all that sort of stuff? Or is there some things that are not learned? They're just intuition from an animal. It's just, it's just natural. They're magic. I, I say it all the time on our show. They are literal magic. They do, I don't know, they just bring so much to our world. And it's one of the main reasons why Miranda and I want this podcast to reach every corner of the world, because the more people realize how magical and how amazing these beings are, the more we are going to see healing on mass. I think you're right. I mean, they're just, in, they're incredible beings. They are here for a very noble purpose. All animals, domestic and wild, they are here to bring beauty to the planet. And we need to respect them for that. We need to respect them on a soul level. We need to respect them on an emotional level, on a mental level. And uh, that's one of the biggest cornerstones of what we do is to educate people on how amazing these creatures are and help them see them for that and not through our human perspective and perceptions. You're halfway through listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. My guests this week are Miranda and Victoria of the Animals Files podcast. Next, I wanted to ask them both about their personal life and where their families came from. Interestingly enough, they both had a similar background. I started with Miranda first of all. Well, I am a first-generation Canadian, and I am a an Alberta-born Edmontonian, I guess you could say. So I've been here pretty much all my life, except for one year. With Dahan, which is a Dutch name, a surname, there must be some kind of history with the family there and how they came to Canada. So do you know anything about that? My dad is originally from the Netherlands and my mom is originally from South Africa 
or she grew up in South Africa. She wasn't born there, but it was in Africa. My dad came to South Africa to work, and that's where he met my mom. Interesting. And then after they got married, my dad was trying to find another job. And I almost ended up being, I think it was Portuguese instead of Canadian. So my dad was trying to find work in Portugal, but the the red tape or whatever that was involved with that ended up being too difficult or impossible or whatever the case may have been. And my dad had a friend who was also from the Netherlands that had already come to Canada and had told him about a job opportunity here in Canada. So that's where they ended up. And I'm going to ask you this question. Do you have a memory of living in South Africa when you were a kid? Well, I didn't live there. Just my, my mom did. I was born here and I've, I visit, I visited there a, a quite a few times. That must be amazing from the wild animal point of view. We're going to ask you about it later oh, on. Oh, yeah. 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 So as, as you did your journey through life and you, you were brought up in Edmonton, did you have any aspirations that when, from a young age to, to work with animals? Did you have any sort of dreams when you were going into kind of, I don't know, junior high about what your career might be? My dreams kind of divided in two ways because uh, like your daughter, I also had endured a divorce between my parents at a young age when I was five years old. And I didn't have anybody to help me deal with the emotions and that at the time. So I buried a lot of it. And then a few years later, um, we got a cat. It was only just a couple of years ago when I started what I was doing, really, that I recognized the benefit that this cat who I had called Miss Piggy, yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, how she had assisted me. I realized that she provided an outlet for me. She, she gave unconditional love. She gave me the opportunity to say and feel whatever I needed. And there was no criticism. There was no judgment. It was just complete acceptance. That's incredible, isn't it? You know, with my experience with her, and also the other side was that um, with the emotional part of the divorce, I ended up developing asthma. Gosh. And it was a childhood asthma. And I really believe it was completely emotional because I haven't been affected by asthma for almost 40 years. So I had kind of this, this division of, okay, I either want to be a veterinarian or I want to be a nurse. As I went through school, I didn't end up going in either of those fields for various reasons, but I ended up finding about animal health technology and discovered that it was kind of a merge of the two areas that I was thinking about. So I went into to that, but I found that my strength wasn't in the technical part of it, doing the lab work and, and all of that type of thing. My strength was in the education, talking to the pet parents, helping them to understand what was going on with their animal, how they needed to do their treatments and all that kind of stuff. And again, it still took me quite a number of years to recognize that was my my strength. And it took being laid off from my last job and actually having somebody suggest to me 
to start my own business for me to start thinking about this. And now I realize I'm doing what I was meant to do. I'm serving the world in the way I was meant to serve. That's just wonderful to hear. And actually, we want to plug your business. So what's the the name of the business? Uh, Well, my business is Petwell Navigation. And do you have a website? I don't, but I have a Facebook page. Far away. I'm also on Instagram as well. Okay. Can you give us the addresses for the Facebook page and the Instagram page? The Facebook page is Petwell Navigation Yeg, and the Instagram is at Pet Care Expert. Perfect. Okay. Well, that's fantastic. Thanks for the potted history, because that was great to just hear how you kind of got on that road. And thank you for sharing some personal stuff there as well, because I think it's very important for listeners to understand that they're not on their own. You know, they can have a great relationship with a pet. And especially if there's somebody who's struggling to get through life with different ailments, such as depression or just anxiety, especially. Pets are amazing how they can relieve that. And the great thing I find, you know, for me is I don't like to really get out and walk and get in the fresh air very often. I tend to like to get in my studio and do my production and, you know, do all the creative stuff. But sometimes I think, oh, I've got to take the dog out for a walk. And when I do go and take the dog for a walk, even if it's for 20 minutes, I feel a whole lot better when I come back. You know, the sun's mm-hmm. on your face and you get some fresh air in your lungs. But I'm going to put the same question to you, Victoria. I mean, really, mm-hmm. with that great accent, I mean, we've got a fantastic Canadian accent here. And we've got this British accent going on somewhere over here. <laughs> with that, you've got a great New York accent. So tell us a little bit about, you know, your background. And you've got a great double-barreled name, which I never can pronounce, but I know it's tickle and I was... Anyway, you, yeah. can, you can pronounce it. <laughs> well, I married into it, so... Yeah. Oh, um. well, that's fair enough. So, so tell us a little bit of a potted history about family, where you come from, and who was the biggest influence in your life? Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> those were all loaded questions. All right. So, yeah, I'm from New York, um, but I was born in Africa. Seriously? Moved to New Jersey, moved to North Carolina, then moved to New Jersey, then moved to Pennsylvania. And then moved to New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York. So I have a kind of a combination of a lot of different accents. I was going to say, no, because I thought I knew you, like, because he threw our radio connections and everything, but South Africa as well. No, not South Africa. No, oh, Africa. Sorry, get that right. Okay. Eritrea. Oh, it was Eritrea. So that's the Italian colony, wasn't it? Yes. But my father was stationed in, it was Ethiopia at the time. So my father was stationed at Kanu, I think it's called Kanu Station in Asmara, Ethiopia in 1970 during the Vietnam War. And my mother flew over to be with him when she was six months pregnant with me. And then I was born in Asmara. And do you have the dual? No, you don't have the dual nationality. No, I had to choose at a certain age. I had to choose because of the government, because shortly after I was born, I think in 1974, there was a a big civil war. So Eritrea now, which was a state in 1970, is now its own country and it is run by a dictator. So I had to make the choice. And that army station is no longer there. It was um, abandoned in 1974. Well, a very interesting life then. So, okay. So what's your earliest memories? And like I say, who was the biggest influence in your life? Uh, mm, I just, this is going to sound really egotistical and it's not meant to be. My biggest inspiration was me because I, at a young age, became very independent. And so I spent a lot of time on my own. And when I was eight, we moved to a farm in Pennsylvania. 
And I spent most of my days wandering the fields and the woods and playing in in the creek and being with the cows in the barn and, and bringing home snakes and crayfish and you name it. Um, and so I explored my world on my own for the most part. And animals always seem to be a, a respite for me. It just grew from there. My brother right now is an emergency vet tech in New Jersey. So he also found respite in animals as we were growing up. We always had an animal. I was born. My mom had a cat. I mean, like I have never really lived my life without an animal um, and mainly a cat because I'm, I'm the crazy cat lady. So, <laughs> but it, it ended up, you know, when you're young and, you know, we, my parents did not get divorced until I was 21. So I don't have the same experience as Miranda and your, and your daughter, but I also felt that I was on my own all the time because I had a younger sister and a younger brother. So my exploration of my world is what brought me to this sense of wonderment I have about animals. And that kind of makes a lot of sense. It took me a long time to realize that I needed to do something with animals. I worked at a pet store that was close, but it just didn't seem to be it. And it wasn't until I decided to get into energy work that, you know, I, I wanted to do something. I was in the middle of my spiritual growth and my my spiritual development that I decided, you know, my life has to change and it's got to change with me. So I started that. And the first course I took was healing touch for animals. Oh, interesting. And so it was an energetic healing practice specifically for animals. And then through that, I got into energy in general. So since then I am now a Reiki master teacher. I'm also a third level healing touch for humans person uh, practitioner. And it's just grown from there. And so all of my experience from as a child, spending my time with cows and cats and crayfish and snakes to the energy work has now created this animal spirituality avenue that I've been traveling for a while. And I've been able to combine everything. So I call myself an animal spirituality facilitator. That's a, that's a mouthful. <laughs> Miranda and I talk about this with the podcast. An animal spirituality is our instinctual nature. And I may call my cat my kid, my child. You know, she's my kid, but she's still a cat. She has an instinctual nature that must be respected. She has behaviors that must be respected. Maybe mitigated a little bit to fit a little bit better with our human world, but she's still a cat. Because that's our spirituality. And if you if you try to remove those instinctual behaviors out of your animal, no matter what it is, bird, dog, cat, lizard, snake, doesn't matter. You are essentially eliminating their spirituality. So you bring all that together and you have the, the energy work that I've done with the animals and the humans, the spirituality, the passion for animals. And it just created this thing. And it's why this podcast basically just sits so nicely within that. Well, I admire you for that because, I mean, you're so eloquent in the way you explained all that. And uh, I, to, to be quite frank, I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole because that's a separate <laughs> podcast. It, it's, it's intriguing. It, it, it's, a, it's, it's a rabbit hole. We haven't even explored it well on the podcast yet because I'm not sure how much 
people would be accepting of it because it's deep. It's a deep hole. Well, I mean, but that's the thing, though, is it that I, it was not funny enough. I was listening to a podcast today. and Actually, I'll, I will give it a little bit of a plug because it was actually quite interesting. And it was talking about our brains and the fact that we don't really understand our brains enough. We only use a small proportion of it because a lot of our thoughts and a lot of our what I call the random access memory, the stuff that we want to store for a while, doesn't go in our brain. It goes to other organs in our body because mm-hmm. our brain does not have the capacity to keep everything within reach. So it has to be stored in other parts of the body, which I find incredibly interesting. And it was actually on a Hello Monday podcast, if anybody wants to talk about it. And it's called The Next Big Idea with a guy called, I think it's called Rufus. Well, how well do you they are. <laughs> you can tell I was listening to it. Um, this guy called Rufus, <laughs> The Next Big Idea. And yeah, he was t- talking to a girl called Jessie Hempel. And she was explaining about the fact that we don't really understand how the brain works. And it's the same for animals. It's got to be. Yeah. Oh, I mentioned the congestive heart failure. Yeah. That's something that happens when when animals absorb a lot of our grief and depression. That energy sits in the lungs and the heart because that's their empathy center. Yeah, totally get that. Totally understand that. And so that's going to end up causing problems around that. Also, when the human animals and non-human animals experience trauma, that can also end up in other parts of the body and we end up with various health issues from that as well. Yeah, there's also a multi-layered thing with that because now animals are living longer. So some of these cancers may actually be normal to them, but they never used to live that long. So it never had the opportunity to present in the body. So there's that part, but there's also all of the absorption and all of, and and of course our environment, Mm -hmm. our environment is incredibly toxic to us, let alone animals that are so close to the floors. You've got floor cleaners, you have air fresheners, all of these things, all these environmental toxins that we humans can process a little bit better, animals can't. Plus a lot of what they're being fed. Oh yeah. Oh, don't even go there. That You want to talk about a uh, rabbit hole. Nutrition, that's a big one. Oh, nutrition. Well, this is the thing. And again, that could be a whole separate podcast. And I think what I'd like to do is say, you know, you've probably covered some of these subjects in your Animal Files podcast over the many, many months. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we'll do, we'll make sure that we can refer people to that because I'm sure some of the things that we're just touching on, you've gone in great depth over the, the last sort of 18 months, two years. If you were kind of looking at the ideal kind of, you know, crystal ball of what would be good for animals, domesticated animals, because that's really what we've talked about. We've not even talked about wild animals yet. Is there a way that we can go down that really will benefit animals now? That is, are people taking an active interest in doing that now and actually making the bedrock for a better world for animals, domesticated animals especially? Is that happening? I think the best things that we can do or we can have is awareness. That being said, we also have to focus on our nutrition. And this is not something that is going to happen overnight because there's a lot of money going into a lot of pockets. So that's where it lies on us as individuals, as pet owners, animal guardians, animal advocates. It lies on us. And just as I believe when you heal yourself, you start to heal the world. I think when you change your relationship with your animal or the animals that you come in contact with, you will eventually inspire others to do the same. So I believe it's a micro to the macro. 
And I don't think there's any real major thing that we can do being in a world that we live in because there's so much money going around and the pet industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. It's not going to happen at the top level. It's got to happen with us and how we see them and go from there. Miranda, do you have anything to add to that? Well, I think a lot of what has been happening for the last 70, 80 years, however long it's been, just for interest sake, we've discovered that the first animal shelter was created in 18... 1860 or something like that? 1860 1860 something, yeah. 1869 or something. It hasn't been that long, but there has been a movement to improve the welfare of animals for a little while, but it's largely been a Band-Aid solution. I think we're slowly starting to move to the root issues and starting to address those. I think with having more people in the pet industry that are focusing more on the holistic side of things, having the the people like the animal communicators and the behaviorists who are aiming to really try to understand the animal, those are all going to really help us treat these animals in a different way, respect them in a different way. And have a different relationship with them. Yeah, I totally agree. And just to kind of put a a period at the end of our two um, responses to your question, every stress outside of environmental that an animal has, for the most part, stems from our human world. And if we pay more attention to our environments, we are going to help our animals because the one thing that links Every single thing in an animal's life is stress and how we respond to their stresses and not make them worse and help to alleviate as best we can because they're trying to navigate this human world, even though they can adapt and they've been with us for so long, their brains don't work the way ours do. So they are still trying to figure it all out. And I think we are as well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, just based on that podcast that I listened to today, it, it, our brains aren't designed for the 21st century world. They're designed to go out and hunt and, you know, find shelter and maybe make some heat or a fire, you know. So we've, we've got a lot of development to do as human beings, but I totally agree with what you're saying. I think, you know, our perspective on animals has still got to improve. There's no doubt about it, but we're, we're making some inroads. That's what we're saying. It's Definitely not, making uh, inroads. Yeah. yeah. It's not a complete basket case, but, you know, the fact is that, you know, as Miranda was saying, the, 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 the first shelter was set up in 1869 in Victorian times, you know. That's, uh, you know, that's incredible to think that's very recent, really, in terms of human history, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. and animal advocacy, the way we're seeing it now, didn't really start until the 70s. It's crazy mm-hmm. to think that, isn't yeah. it? You know, it and, and veterinary sciences are very young as well. So we're still learning, but we're making so much progress. And I think the more we see these animals as sentient beings with a soul, with, you know, a heart, everything, I think it's going to just get better and better and better for these animals. And, you know, we can 
hope that our dogs that tend to die at 14, cats die at 15, will end up living in their 20s because they'll be happy and they won't be so stressed and they'll have good nutrition and they'll have good companionship. And it's going to be a road, but awareness is the key. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we'll end on a, on a high there. Just again, I'd love to reiterate to the listeners where they can actually listen to your podcast. So what's the name of the podcast again? So we get absolutely correct. The Animal Files, Exposing the Truth, Science, and Spirituality of Petcare. Fantastic. That is the name of the podcast. You can find it on all major podcasting platforms. And if you want a shortcut to the podcast, you can go to our website, which is the animalfilespodcast.com. And we do have a player, which is on the episodes page. So if you were both at that stage of being 18 again... Oh, who would want to be 18 again? I would, for sure. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Um, (laughs) What what advice would you have for your 18-year-old self? And I'll let you decide who wants to go first. You want to go first, Miranda? I think, I guess I, I would have to say from what I have learned, especially over the last couple of years, is to really start to trust myself, to see what really resonates with me. I don't think, I don't know if I would have really known back then what I was really passionate about exactly, but I think it'd be standing my ground and not letting other people push me into things that weren't right for me, that was their idea and not my idea. So I think that would be the biggest advice I would want to provide. Perfect. Perfect. And come on, Victoria, you've had time to think. Well, I I wouldn't change anything. So what I would tell my 18-year-old self is keep going because you got big shoes to fill and you're going to fill them. So just keep going. Great advice. That's what I would have told my 18-year-old self. Well, I want to just thank you both, uh, Victoria and Miranda, for coming on on the track. I know we tried this once before, like we said earlier on, it was a take two. And I think it was great to get you both together because I could feel the energy was very, very different. It's quite nice doing it that way. Uh, I wish you the best of luck with your podcast. And uh, I know you've gone on to greater and bigger things as well. Uh, there, Victoria, I think you started a radio broadcast on White Horse Radio of all places. Yeah. You may as well do a plug for that. Uh, yeah. My other radio show is Soul of Rock with Victoria D on White Horse Radio. And we celebrate the greatest rock artists of all times. Look at that. You're going to have animals rocking next. Domestic animals are yes. going to have discos. And you'll be well, my, my production assistant is my cat, Maisie. Cannot be bad. So she does try to help. Sometimes she sits on my lap and I have to edit one-handed. That is so funny. Oh, I'm glad that Dakota doesn't help me. Occasionally he barks, so I have to re-record things, you know. But uh, other than that, you know, he stays out of the way. But there we are. Well, listen, I want to thank you both very, very much uh, for coming on board today. And uh, I wish you the best of luck with the podcast. And uh, do join us again. And we'll we'll see how you guys are maybe getting on in 12 months' time. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you. It was great. It's been a pleasure. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. My guests this week were Victoria and Miranda from the Animal Files podcast, giving you the insight into your animals that you never thought possible. Remember, there are more conversations coming up in this series. Just look out for On Another Track with me, David Wilson, on your local podcast platform and subscribe. This has been a Brit Cam production for Urban Aspect Incorporated.
keeping us safe on the roads of North America. 